Thanks for joining us for Life Community Church. Well, hello. Good morning. How are you doing today? Everything going all right? All right. We have a very unusual sermon today, I will have to say. And as a matter of fact, Nick, who's back there doing the slides, he goes, these slides are so cool! You know, so, <laughs> so this may be a little. So today, what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about Legos and Dragons. I mean, how cool is that? Legos and Dragons, right? Um, and obviously, I'm going to use this as a as an illustration or as a metaphor uh, for some things that we've been talking about for the last uh, several weeks. Um, let's start off let's start off with this illustration. A have you ever had this over-the-top expe expectation for something? Um, just that you think this thing's going to be so good and you have this expectation. And actually in our journey with Jesus, there's a pastor, Joseph uh, Stein. Steinke, uh, who actually calls this experience the utopian hope. So for example, like when you're a little kid, you remember that gift that you wanted for Christmas? Like if you look at Christmas Story, you remember the movie of Christmas Story? Uh, the movie of Christmas Story, you know, there was, what did he want? What did Ralphie want? The BB gun, right? The Red Rider BB gun. You know, there's just this utopian, over-the-top hope that you have this expectation of you know, I really want this thing. It's going to be so good, you know. And we have those hopes for different things in our lives. We have those hopes like if you ever uh, have lived in a house or an apartment with your best friends, you think, oh, we're going to have such a great time. Yeah, or you, you have this utopian hope when you're dating or you get married and you say, we're going to sit and write poetry to each other, you know. He will share his feelings with me. I will share my feelings with him, you know. And so we have these hopes, these expectations of different things in life, right? But then there's something else that uh, Pastor jo Joseph talks about, and he, he talks about something that's called the utopian slope. And, and for Ralphie, this is the utopian slope, right? So whenever he opens up all of his packages that he was looking and seeing it's not rifle-shaped, you know, and then he founds out his aunt gets him this bunny suit, you know, and all of a sudden that utopian hope is dashed. You know, that expectation that was so high um, didn't meet the expectations that we had. Uh, maybe you make an investment and you've thought, oh, this company's going to do so well, it's going to be just great, and you've already spent the money on a, a boat in your mind, you know, going to have a glorious house because of this, and then you get to the utopian slope, and it's, wow, reality hits. It wasn't quite the expectation I had. Um, there's an application of that, I think, to our Christian walk with Jesus sometimes. I think there are these hopes that we have when we first become a Christian, that are kind of utopian hopes. They're kind of those things that you think about and you take that experience of however you came to Christ, whether it was that like big event of a decision being made, of a prayer being said, um, of the Holy Spirit really coming into your life in a new way, and you feel the change, and you think, this is awesome, this is always going to be like this. There's this hope 
that it'll stay like that, and then you start to live life. And there's this slope that happens. And I, and I don't even know why we're surprised in this. You know, it, it's again, the more you read the Bible, you go, well, yeah, this is kind of in the Bible. And I, I'll, I'll just give you one example of this. Um, Jesus, whenever, you know, and it's funny, a lot of the passages we're going to look at today are, are about Jesus. And right before um, he actually was crucified or, or left this earth, too, um, after the resurrection, but, you know, he got all of his best friends together, all of his disciples, these people that he was pouring life in, and you see this in uh, John chapter 16 and John chapter 15, and you see he sets down with them and he says, look, this is what's about to happen. I'm about to leave. I'm about to actually do what I came to do to pay that price that my father sent me to do not really happy about this. I'm not looking forward, but this is what I was to do. And there, it's funny when, when you look at that scene in, in John chapter 16 that he's, he's talking to his friends, this kind of last talk he has with them. And he says, you know, he, he, they, they even say, wow, it's, they, they actually say this in John 16. They, they say, you know, it's about time you're saying things plainly, you know, and so they're finally like, wow, why are you going now? We finally understand what you're doing. And he says this in, in John chapter 16, um, you know, if you start at verse 16, and we're going to kind of make a break and not read the whole thing, he says, in a little while, you will see me no more, and then after a little while, you will see me. So he's talking about, you know, he's about to go away from them, but he's, he's also going to come back to them. And then down in verse 33, he really gives what this Christian experience, what their life is going to be like. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You know, Jesus clearly states to his disciple, you're going to have a utopian slope. You know, you're going to have an experience where in your walk to follow me and to follow what I've set out to do, you're going to have troubles. And sometimes these troubles, this expectation, sometimes it leads to what we've been talking about these last few weeks, and that is doubt. Now, whenever I think of doubt, the thing that comes to mind, and you know, I have a strange mind, as you'll see, okay, but you ever see that movie Inside Out? Okay, Inside Out, this is awesome, right? Inside Out, they have all these little characters that are in your mind. You know, you have anger, you know, you have fear, you know, and they describe all of these emotions in your mind. And I'm like, yeah, I got all of those. But if I had to add one more, it would kind of be this character doubt that sometimes in our mind, we just feel that doubt. You know, and that doubt comes by and it says things like, was that experience real? Or is what I've even come to believe true? Is it true? You know, it kind of, and it's even talks about elsewhere in James that it talks about doubt creates kind of this double-mindedness. And have you ever had that experience? You're like, what do I do? I, I seem to have two minds about this that are conflicting with one another. And that's kind of what doubt does. And so we're in this sermon series that is about doubt. And it's the sermon series about doubt and faith in our lives. Um, it's based on a book that I actually, 
I always say, I read a book, I didn't read a book. I get the audiobook. The audiobook's great. And it's by a Stephanie Williams O'Brien. Um, it's a book that's called Stay Curious. I think it's a fantastic book. And that, that sermon series on doubt um, is actually, you know, what we're in right now. And she does a brilliant job of, I think, giving an approach to doubt. And that is that if we do stay curious, that it gets us through these times of doubt. And so as we um, even approach this topic, I, I really, in interacting, and I, I talked to Liz and Dan, I don't know, probably six months ago, about how many of people in my life, Christians, are experienced doubt about their faith through the things that they have been going through. And so let me give you a word of encouragement because I have so many good friends that are going through this. First is that, you know, there is, there is really no condemnation. This is a free, guilt-free doubt zone, okay? Um, as a matter of fact, and, and I can share this, that the Bible even says that. Sometimes the Bible does express, you know, doubt and the wavering of doubt. But it really gives a lot of grace for doubt, too. If you look in Jude, okay, Jude is like the smallest book in the Bible, right? One of the smallest books in the Bible. It has 25 verses in Jude. It's in the New Testament. It's this letter that was written. And in that, out of those 25 verses, if you're going to write a letter, I mean, this is pretty important. It takes one part of that, one sentence, and it says, be merciful for those who doubt. It gives that command as part of that book. So realize today, if you have doubts about your Christian walk, about your Christian faith, do you know what? That is okay. You know, we are going to be there with you. Um, as a matter of fact, I've had to repent of some of my, the ways that I approached doubt. I had a, a friend, and it, it, it kind of broke my heart in a way, because I had a friend about a couple weeks ago, I was meeting with them, and I, I knew he was going through a lot of doubt. I mean, like, serious, like, I don't know if I believe in God doubt, you know, those kind of things. And I, you know, I'm an engineer, I was telling Cal I'm an engineer, he goes, oh, you try to fix everything. Yes, I do, I try to fix everything, you know. And my friend told me, he goes, hey, don't try to fix me. That was his first response to me whenever I, and I was like, wow, do I really come across like that? Like someone that needs, I think that I could fix you. You know, this doubt that he's gone through is part of the path that Jesus has him on. You know, and I have total trust in Jesus for that path, that he's going to lead him through that path, because I've had doubts myself before. So with that, and kind of with that caveat, and that we're going to give some grace here for folks that have doubt, um, let's talk about Legos. Okay, there's a subject change, okay? <laughs> let's talk about Lego. Okay, this is going to be an example. What I want to do is kind of build a framework, uh, a metaphor, so that we can describe things that surround doubt. So I was going to go out and buy Legos, and believe it or not, I'm an engineer, right? I have never owned Legos. I know! I will give you my parents' phone number. You can call them. I know, terrible. I had Lincoln Logs. You know, Lincoln Logs is like the, you know, we can't afford Legos, you get Lincoln Logs, right? So, but so I went to the Diatlis, right? <laughs> yeah, they love their children, <laughs> right? So they have Legos, okay? 
I'm not giving them back. No, <laughs> Legos are great, right? So you take these plates, you take these bricks, and you can build anything. You can build anything with it. And you can build these structures by just taking these small components. So you take these little bricks, you know, they snap together, and you kind of build them up. So whenever we're talking about doubt, we're, we're really talking about these Lego bricks. You know, we build them up, and let's say we make a little house, you know, something like this, you know, something like that, you know. And then things start to happen to our little Lego house. You know, some pressures start to go on there, and all of a sudden we find out no, maybe I haven't built that structure in a way that actually sustains through this. Maybe I look at some of those bricks, which if we would consider those bricks kind of the beliefs that we have about Jesus, about God, about the kingdom of God, about life. You know, you might even use a complicated term like theology, you know. But we have all these bricks that go together. And then these troubles in life come, right? And those troubles in life sometimes take that wonderful, looks like a solid structure, and you start finding out, hey, there are things here crumbling. There are things here that aren't really meeting up to the trouble that is here on, in life. And I think that's a healthy process. And you might even look at some of those bricks and think, you know, I don't, maybe that brick of belief that I had, maybe... Maybe I didn't quite get that belief right. And so I think that this building up of a structure and a Lego example is kind of neat, but I, I think we need to not be scared about looking at some of our bricks that we build up. You know, whenever you look at those bricks and you build up that structure, you know, what comes against those? Well, that's where we get to dragons, okay? Dragons are kind of a metaphor for those things that really, those troubles that come, come through you. It's kind of interesting, and this is um, so true. So the, these are Alex's Legos. I did not tell uh, Anne what I was talking on. There was actually a dragon Lego in here. <laughs> so thank you, Jesus. I'll give, I'll give God the credit on that, you know, so... But dragons are kind of these things that come along, these big events in our lives that come along, and they really challenge those bricks of belief that we have. It's funny that there's, a, if you go to, there's an ancient globe, it's called the Hunt Lennox Globe. And this was a, a copper globe that was created of the known, you know, what, what that, uh, that region, or I think it was, uh, from France, what they knew about the, the world then. And there's a small inscription there that says, Hic sunk dracones. That is, here there is dragons. There's a little region there where they're trying to say, you know what, we don't know what's going on here. It's dangerous. It's unknown. You know, so let's symbolize that by saying there's dragons there. You know, it's kind of like that feeling that, you know, when we decide to put our trust in Jesus and we're, we're following Jesus down the road and we're journeying with Christ and we're learning more about him and about the Holy Spirit and about the kingdom of God, and you feel this presence 
of a dragon behind you. You know, this, this thing that's brewing, and all of a sudden it overtakes you, and you know, that dragon might be a broken relationship. You know, suddenly someone tells you that they don't love you anymore, and there's divorce, and there's separation, or it might be even, you know, the, a dragon of conform, conforming to the world that comes and says, do you really believe that about God? And you start to doubt, or it might be a sudden loss, whether it's a job or a diagnosis. You know, these things in life that are just these dragons that come upon us, and they just kind of take the wind out of your sail. And they start to make us look at that structure that we've built out of Legos and say, do my bricks make sense? Do those ideas that I have to make makes sense you know I don't know just like that globe I don't know what your path is going to be like with Christ I have no idea but I know he's going to be with you but there are going to be these unknown situations there's going to be trouble in your life so you know there are many of these that I could talk about today and I had like four of them and then I said oh yeah this is not supposed to be five hours long so We've, we've got it down to one. Let me, let me go through. Let's go through one of those dragons that I think really encompasses many, and that is expectations. Um, we're going to look at the life of what Jesus said was the greatest man that ever lived, and that's John the Baptist. Um, John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus. you you might have remembered this if you ever saw any of the, uh, Christ, you know, the, the biblical Christmas stories of that, that there was this scene where John the Baptist actually, uh, before he was born even, you know, was recognizing Jesus in, the, in his mother's womb and just knowing that he was the one that was preparing the way for Jesus. And... And even there's a pro- how would you feel if in the Old Testament there was a prophecy about what you like the person you would be? I mean, this is John the Baptist. You know, Isaiah 40 verse three says he's the voice of the one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. That was his mission, prepare the way. He was kind of this mix of uh, I don't know. You might say Duck Dynasty and Billy Graham, okay? Yeah, now you're like, okay. You know, you mix those two, and that's John the Baptist, just this wild man that would just be bold saying things. And, and he had two things that he was doing. The, the first was his message. He says, going to everyone, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. We're, we're almost there. Just repent. It's time to turn. And he said this, not only to Gentiles, to Jews, but to the Pharisees, to the leaders at the time, and challenged them that you're going down a road and God wants you to repent. The second thing is he was the one preparing the way of Jesus. And he had his own disciples, and he had this boldness, but he finds himself in prison. Let's take a look at uh, Matthew chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 1 through 14 this morning. And so John finds himself in prison. So Matthew 11, uh, verse 1, it says this, When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, 
he sent his disciples to ask him. So he had disciples following him, speaking about repentance, baptizing people into repentance. And the disciples came. He, he sent the disciples to Jesus to ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? You know, we see here by this verse that he was in prison. Now, this might have been the time that he was in, most probably the time that he was in prison because he had actually come out against and spoke out against Herod, who was uh, the son of Herod the Great and actually the providential leader there in that area. And he spoke against him as the kind of political scandal at the time that he had actually divorced his wife and mother and married his brother's wife, you know, and he spoke out against that, and so he finds himself in prison. It might have been that time, might have been another time. But we know he's sitting in prison going, I'm not seeing abundant life here, you know. I'm sitting in prison here, and there's some doubts that start to form, you know, Is this cousin of mine who I recognized as the Messiah? Is he really the Messiah? So what does he do? He he asks some of his disciples to go and ask Jesus this question, just this honest question. Are you the Messiah? Should I look for someone else? And Jesus replied, if we go back to Matthew, Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And then Jesus goes on to say, you know, not only have I shown you that I'm the Messiah by these miraculous deeds, but he also goes on to encourage. He says, truly, to everyone there that saw these disciples approach, truly, I tell you, among those born of women, There has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet whoever is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. Do you see the dragon that crept up behind John the Baptist? You see, I mean, you can kind of imagine you've been proclaiming, you've been bold, you've loved the wilderness and now you're in prison because of what if the truth that you have said, and you start to doubt. You know, you start to see that dragon has crept up on you. That unmet expectation. You know that that utopian hope that you have, and then you see that there's a utopian slide as troubles form. You know, we can just even hear John say, I thought you were the Messiah. Now your cousin is in jail. You know, have you ever been there? I mean, have you been to that point where troubles come to your life and you say, was that real? You know, did I really have that experience? I was, I accepted Jesus when I was 13. And I go back to that experience sometimes, and it's kind of a rock in my life. And I'd go, you know, Jesus may not seem real right now, but he did then. And sometimes those doubts kind of form. And I, I, I relook at what I believe. 
But it's, it's neat to see that Jesus is with me whenever I go through this from time to time. You know, there's, there's kind of things that you can approach. You know, I, I'd really rather have us honestly confront some of our doubts than just make a set of rules to follow just because we need rules to follow. I think this is what it means to be a follower of Christ, that sometimes we have to relook at these things. And let's just look at three things as Jesus responds to this doubt. The first thing, the first thing that Jesus does is he declares and demonstrates who he is. You know, it says, Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see, the blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed and the deaf hear. The, the deaf hear. You know, it's, it's kind of funny. You look at that list, it's like, wow, why did he pick those things? Well, he was doing two things. One, to show him, look, this is the power of the Father coming through me. You know, I am the Messiah. You know, I am the Son of God. He's not only showing that authority and power over creation, but he's also showing this is what Isaiah said. That list is from Isaiah 35, 4 through 6. You know, they didn't have verses and things back then, and so that you would use these phrases that you see, and that, that list is just pointing to the Messiah. And he, he's basically saying, you know, this person, the Messiah that was prophesied about, this is what I'm doing. You know, sometimes our core doubts come and we really need to know who Jesus is and that Jesus is who he said he was. And I would even challenge you sometimes when those things come up in your life and you start to doubt that maybe the good question to ask is, Jesus, who are you trying to show me you are right now? You know, who are you? Are you trying to show me that you're the the God that delivers, that does miraculous things in this circumstance? Or are you trying to show me that you're the God that's there each and every day as I struggle through the thing that I'm about to do? Because Jesus does both of those things in a powerful way. The second thing that Jesus responded with is that he demonstrated and declared who John was, and he declares who we are when we have doubts. You know, look at what he says. Among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Man, I'll tell you, okay, number 257 reasons why Greg is not the Messiah. Okay, <laughs> and there's a bunch of them, you know. But this reason, I would go, what are you doing, man? I'm the Messiah. Who are you? You know, I, I totally go into that mode, right? Like, how, why would you question me? But man, Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus says, you know, I've got my cousin here. He's doubting me. I need to tell him who he is. I need to encourage him and, and tell him who he is, that he's in this relationship. He's a co-heir with, with me and my father. He's the greatest that was ever born. What an encouraging thing to say in a, in a time of doubt. You know, I, I love how Jesus... And, and, and we look in, you know, if you look in the epistles, if you look in Romans, if you look in Galatians, if you ever wonder who you are in Christ, go to those two books, man. They just, they just tell you who you are. You know, this is who you are. Join heirs with Christ, children of God. We can call God Abba, that 
Jesus is our brother and our friend. But you know, the, the thing that's exciting is just the image of family and relationship that Jesus gives. Um, I don't, have you ever had this experience? I, this, you know, sometimes I, I share these things and I'm like, oh no, I'm getting blank looks. I'm the only one that ever felt like this. But you ever go over to another family's house, okay? And this is going to sound terrible, okay? Yeah, why am I sharing this? I sh- anyways, so you go over to this other family's house, you know, some friends and stuff like that, and you look at their family and you go, wow, this family's awesome. I wish I was part of this family. Okay, not just me. All right, I get a couple nods there, you know. Yeah, you go and you're like, they're joyous, they're excited, there's laughter, there's chaos, and you're like, wow, you know, I wish my family was like that, you know. And it's funny that the, the image that Jesus gives us to say, this is how much I want to include you. Look at, look at this image that he gives. This is in that same, you know, I told you we're looking at the the end of, you know, kind of the last day and some of the things that Jesus was, was saying and praying. This is a time that Jesus actually prayed for everyone sitting here. Like there's a time we can point to that says Jesus prayed for us, right? So if you look in John 15, Jesus is praying to the Father about the end of his life and also what he's about to go through you know, where he would also be resurrected. And he prays for his disciples and just how much he prays for the Father to take care of his disciples. But then he turns it and says, look, I need to also pray for us here. Look at what he says. John 15, 20, it says this. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. I think everyone here has believed in Jesus Christ through the message of the Bible. That all of them may be one. Really wants us to be one. That, Father, just as you and you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Isn't that neat? That the thing that he, his prayer for us is that we would be and experience this relationship that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have together. And says, I want to invite you in. This family, you know, the family that we want to, I want to invite you in. I want you to be part of this family. Do you know what's neat about that image of family? Is you are my family, and there's nothing you can do about that. There really is not. You can go ahead and doubt me, like if I went up to my dad and I go, I go, I go, I go, Dad, I doubt that you even exist. My dad would go, Sorry, I'm your dad. You're my family. You know, there is nothing you can do about that. You know what? There is nothing that you can do about not being the family of God. I mean, he's Jesus is there with you. You know, you can say that all the time that you want, and he's going to be walking there with you. You know, and, and, and the, the third thing that Jesus does when he confronts this doubt that, that John has is he doesn't change John's circumstance. Did you notice that? You know, I look at that story and it's like, John's still in jail. John's still in prison. And it doesn't turn out great for John in prison. 
He's actually martyred in prison. Sometimes our circumstance doesn't change. You know, there's an, another guy in the Bible that kind of expressed this. If you, you've ever heard of Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote many letters in the New Testament. So he was kind of the first non-disciple Christian, you know, kind of this first guy that came along through a dramatic experience. And, you know, God used him in such a mighty way. And we look and we see Paul had so many troubles in his life. And it's weird because you see these miraculous things that would happen, and then you would see these things that just sustained Paul. 2 Corinthians 12, it says this about one of the troubles, and we don't even know what this is exactly. He says this, in order to keep me, this is Paul talking, and he's writing this to the Corinthians, this other church, and he says, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. If you ever want to read about 20 different theories about what the thorn of the flesh, you know, enjoy, no one really knows. We have guesses and things. But it was something that was that trouble that kind of was sustained. And he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, this is... Paul talking, therefore I'll boast all the more gladly about my weakness, because that's where Christ's power is really shown. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weakness and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties, for when I'm weak, then I am strong. You know, when we doubt due to an unmet expectation as a follower of Jesus Christ, um, it just really highlights the kind of relationship that we have. Uh, you know, there's really two types of relationships, I think, and there's probably more, but these two kind of come to mind, is sometimes we come to Jesus and we think this relationship that we have with Jesus is what's called a transactional relationship. Okay, transactional relationship is a, a relationship based on function. And you may say that it, it began like that, you know, I came to Christ for the forgiveness of sins, to believe in Christ, and there's this transactional you know, relationship that starts, but it, it doesn't stay there. But sometimes I think that we treat it like we would treat a sales clerk, you know, in that there's something that you do, there's something that I do, there's something that I do, then there's something that you do. And we have this expectation of function. I do this, you will do that. You do this, I will do that. And we make a, translational, uh, a, a, a transactional relationship. But you know what? What's really exciting is through these verses, Jesus doesn't call us to a transactional relationship with, with, with him. He calls us to discipleship. And sometimes, you know, I don't like using the word discipleship sometimes because it's kind of this christian word. Use the word apprentice. You know, I th Dallas Willard uses this term instead of discipleship in one of the books that he wrote. And I think it's great because an apprentice is you are taking, you know, you're looking at the teacher and saying, I want to become like that. Whether it's a machinist, whether it's a nurse, whatever it is, I want to become like that. And so Jesus is saying that, look, I want you to be a disciple and that's what Jesus is looking for. He even says in Matthew 16, 
Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. He is looking for discipleship, not transaction. As, as a matter of fact, if we look at some of the last words that Jesus had on earth, you know, you would think they were pretty important. So Jesus dies. He's buried for three days. He um, is, is raised from the dead in physical form. He spends some time with the disciples and others. And then right before he's about to go to heaven and be with his father, he says this at the end of Matthew. This is the command he gives. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the, the age. You know, Jesus is saying, look, go make disciples, man. I want disciples. I don't want sales clerks. You know, sales clerks are great from for Walmart, for Walgreens, I love them, you know, but Jesus calls us to more of a relationship with him. And I don't know when these troubles come into your life, you know, I've had some very miraculous things happen in my life, you know, that, that are just crazy miraculous. I, I've been to conferences where I, I struggled with pain in my shoulder for a year and a half, you know, every time I slept, I would wake up because of the pain in my shoulder. And I, I just, there, there, there was a guy there preaching and he goes, anyone's got shoulder pain, you know, raise up their hand. And I was like, okay, raise my hand up, instantly healed. I don't, I don't get it, right? <laughs> I mean, because like, I'd have to say my faith was like, yeah, I should do this, you know, kind of faith, you know? But there are other things that Jesus says, look, you know what? This is showing my power through walking through with you along this journey. There's some of those things. And I, I can't even come up with the, you know, this is why it's this. This is why, I don't know. But some of the times it can be one of those t- things. But both of them, let me say both of those show the power of Jesus Christ. So as we end here, uh, let me just say before we go to worship, and uh, Bridget, if you want to come up here and we'll get started in worship, I really want to close with maybe asking you to think about two questions this week. One is, you know, are there some unmet expectations that need to be confronted with courage this week? Are there some things that you need to come to Jesus and just say, you know, I had this expectation And I see that, you know, you had something different for me here. And to confront those expectations and bring those to Jesus. The other thing, too, if you're going through some doubts, if there's some of those Lego blocks that you're like, man, I don't know if I believe. Can I just encourage you to not only bring those to Christ, but bring those to a community? I mean, I am not scared of any doubt that you have. If you ever want to talk through those things. And you know what? I'm not going to say, hey, I'm here to fix you. I'm not. I'm here to kind of walk alongside you as we figure these things out together, okay? So uh, let's pray. Uh, Father God, I just thank you for this time. I thank you that you invite us to be a family. That's the relationship that you want to have with us, that you want to 
say that, that Greg is your disciple, that you're here walking through these things with me. And so, Lord, we have the privilege of worshiping you now, not for only who you are, but also what you've done for us. And so I pray for these things. I pray that you would accept this worship on our behalf. Christ. At Life Community Church, we want you to experience the powerful, life-changing love of God. To learn more, go to lifemohammed.org. lifemohammed.org.